Chapter Thirteen of the Life and Adventures of Peter Wilkins, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista. The Life and Adventures of Peter Wilkins by Robert Paltick, Chapter Thirteen. I had now well stored my grotto with all sorts of winter provisions, and feeling the weather grow very cold, I expected and waited patiently for the total darkness. I went little abroad, and employed myself within doors, endeavouring to fence against the approaching extremity of the cold. For this purpose I prepared a quantity of rushes, which, being very dry, I spread them smoothly on the floor of my bedchamber a good thickness, and over them I laid my mattress. Then I made a double sheet of the boat's awning or sail that I had brought to cover my goods, and having skewered together several of the jackets and clothes I found in the chest, of them I made a coverlid, so that I lay very commodiously and made very long nights of it now the dark season was set in. As I lay awake one night, or day, I know not which, I very plainly heard the sound of several human voices, and sometimes very loud. But though I could easily distinguish the articulations, I could not understand the least word that was said, nor did the voices seem at all to me like such as I had anywhere heard before, but much softer and more musical. This startled me, and I rose immediately, slipping on my clothes and taking my gun in my hand, which I always kept charged being my constant traveling companion, and my cutlass. Thus equipped, I walked into my antechamber, where I heard the voices much plainer, till, after some little time, they by degrees died quite away. After watching here and hearkening a good while, hearing nothing, I walked back into the grotto and laid me down again on my bed. I was inclined to open the door of my antechamber, but I own I was afraid. Besides, I considered that if I did— I could discover nothing at any distance by reason of the thick and gloomy wood that enclosed me. I had a thousand different surmises about the meaning of this odd incident, and could not conceive how any human creatures should be in my kingdom, as I called it, but myself, and I never yet see them or any trace of their habitation. But then again I reflected that, though I had surrounded the whole lake, yet I had not traced the outbounds of the wood next the rock where there might be innumerable grottoes like mine, nay, perhaps some as spacious as that I had sailed through to the lake, and that, though I had not perceived it, yet this beautiful spot might be very well peopled. But, says I again, if there be any such beings as I am fancying here, surely they don't skulk in their dens like savage beasts by daylight, and only patrol for prey by night. If so, I shall probably become a delicious morsel for them ere long." if they meet with me. This kept me still more within doors than before, and I hardly ever stirred out but for water or firing. At length, hearing no more voices, nor seeing any one, I began to be more composed in my mind, and at last grew persuaded it was all a mere delusion, and only a fancy of mine, without any real foundation. And sometimes, though I was sure I was fully awake when I heard them, I persuaded myself I had rose in my sleep upon a dream of voices, and recollected with myself the various stories I had heard when a boy of walking in one sleep, and the surprising effects of it. 
so the whole notion was now blown over. I had not enjoyed my tranquillity above a week before my fears were roused afresh, hearing the same sound of voices twice the same night, but not many minutes at a time. What gave me most pain was that they were at such a distance, as I judged by the languor of the sound, that if I had opened my door I could not have seen the utterers through the trees, and I was resolved not to venture out. But then I determined, if they should come again, anything near my grotto, to open the door, see who they were, and stand upon my defense whatever came of it. For, says I, my entrance is so narrow and high that more than one cannot come at a time, and I can, with ease, dispatch twenty of them before they can secure me, if they should be savages. But if they prove sensible human creatures, it will be a great benefit to me to join myself to their society. Thus had I formed my scheme. But I heard no more of them for a great while, so that at length, beginning to grow ashamed of my fears, I became tranquil again. The day now returning, and with it my labors, I applied to my usual callings. But my mind ran strangely upon viewing the rock quite round, that is, the whole circuit of my dominions. For, thinks I, there may possibly be an outlet through the rock into some other country, from whence the persons I heard may come. As soon, therefore, as the days grew towards the longest, I prepared for my progress. Having lived so well at home since my settlement, I did not care to trust only to what I could pick up in the woods for my subsistence during this journey, which would not only take up time in procuring, but perhaps not agree with me. So I resolved to carry a supply with me, proportionate to the length of my preambulation. Hereupon, considering that though my walk round the lake was finished in two days, yet as I now intended to go round by the rock, the way would be much longer and perhaps more troublesome than that was. Remembering also my journey with Glenleps in Africa, and how much I complained of the fruits we carried for our subsistence, these circumstances, I say, laying together, I resolved to load the cart with a variety of food, bread, and fruits especially, and draw that with me. Thus provided, I sallied forth with great cheerfulness, and proceeded in the main easily, though in some places I was forced to make way with my hatchet, the ground was so overrun with underwood. I very narrowly viewed the rock as I went, bottom and sides, all the way, but could see nothing like a passage through it, or indeed any more than one opening, or inlet, which I entered for about thirty yards, but it was not above three feet wide, and terminated in the solid rock. After some days' travel, making all the observations I could on the several plants, shrubs, and trees which I met with, particularly where any of these occurred to me entirely new, finding myself a little faintish, I had a mind for a sup of ram's horn juice. So I cut me one, but upon opening it found therein only a pithy pulp, and no ways fit to taste. I supposed by this I was too early for the milk, it being three months later the last year when I cut them. Hereon, seeing one upon another shrub, which by its rusty color I judged might have hung all the winter, I opened that, and found it full of milk. But putting some of it into my mouth, it was as sour as any vinegar I ever tasted in my life. So, thinks I, and said so too, for, as I told you before, I always spoke out, here's sauce for something when I want it. And this gave me a hint 
to store myself with these gourds, to hang by for vinegar the next winter. By this time I had come almost to my rill, when I entered upon a large plat of ground, miserably overrun with weeds, matted together very thick. These choked up my wheels in such a manner that I could neither free them with my hands, nor get either backwards or forwards, they binding my cart down like so many cords, so that I was obliged to cut my way back again with my hatchet, and take a sweep round in the wood, on the outside of these weeds. In all my life I never saw anything of its size, for it was no thicker than a whipcord, so strong as this weed. And what raised my wonder was the length of it, for I drew out pieces of it near fifty feet long, and even they were broken at the end, so that it might be as long again, for aught I know, for it was so matted and twisted together that it was a great trial of patience to untangle it. But that which was driest, and to me looked the rottenest and weakest, I found to be much the strongest. Upon examination of its parts, I discovered it to be composed of an infinite number of small threads, spirally overlaying and enfolding one another. As I saw but few things that I could not find a use for, so this, I perceived, would serve all the common purposes of pack-thread, a thing I was often in want of. This inclined me to take a load of it home with me. Indeed, the difficulty of getting a quantity in the condition I desired it puzzled me a little, for, says I, if I cut up a good deal of it with my hatchet, as I first designed, I shall only have small lengths, good for little, and to get it in pieces of any considerable length, so as to be of service, will require much time and labor. But reflecting how much I needed it, and of what benefit it would be, I resolved to make a trial of what I could do. So, without more hesitation, I went to work, and cutting a fibre close to its root, I extricated that thread from all its windings, just as one does an entangled whipcord. When I had thus disengaged a sufficient length, I cut that off, and repeating the like operation, in about three hours' time, but with no little toil, I made up my load of different lengths just to my liking. Having finished this task, I filled the gourd brought for that purpose with water, and having first viewed the whole remaining part of the rock, I returned over the stone bridge, home again. This journey, though it took me up several days, and was attended with some fatigue, had yet given me great satisfaction, for now I was persuaded I could not have one rival or enemy to fear in my whole dominions, and from the impossibility, as I supposed, of there being any, or of the ingress of any, unless by the same passage I entered at, and by which I was well assured they could never return, I grew contented, and blamed myself for the folly of my imaginary voices, as I called them then, and took it for a distemper of the fancy only. The next day I looked over my load of matweed, having given it that name, and separated the different lengths from each other. I then found I had several pieces between forty and fifty feet long, of which I resolved to get a good number more, to make me a dragnet that I might try for some fish in the lake. A day or two after, therefore, I brought home another load of it. Then I picked out a smooth level spot upon the green sward, and having prepared a great number of short wooden pegs, I strained a line of the matweed about ten feet long, tying it at each end to a peg, 
and stuck a row of pegs along by that line, about two inches asunder. I next strained another line of the same length, parallel to that, at the distance of forty feet from it, and stuck pegs thereby corresponding to the former row, and from each peg on one side to the opposite peg on the other, I tied a like length of my mat line quite through the whole number of pegs, when the work looked like the inside of a harpsichord. I afterwards drove pegs in like manner along the whole length of the two outermost longer lines, and tied shorter lines to them, so that the whole affair then represented the squares of a racket, the corners of each of which squares I tied very tight with smaller pieces of the line, till I had formed a complete net of forty feet long and ten wide. When I had finished my net, as I thought, I wrapped several stones in rags, and fastened them to the bottom to sink it and some of the smallest unscooped dry gourds to the top, to keep that part buoyant. I now longed to begin my new trade, and carried the net to my boat with that intention, but after two or three hauls I found it would not answer for want of length, though by chance I caught a blackish fish without scales, a little bigger than whiting, but much longer, which stuck by the gills in it. So I left the net in the boat, resolving to make an addition to it with all speed, and returning to my grotto, I supped on the fish I had taken, and considered how to pursue my enterprise with better effect. I provided me with another large parcel of line, and having brought two more lengths to perfection, I joined all together, and fixing one end on shore by a pole I had cut for that purpose, I launched my boat with the other end in it, taking a sweep the length of my net round to my stick again, and getting on shore, hauled up my net by both ends together. I found now I had mended my instrument, and taken a proper way of applying it, for by this means in five hauls I caught about sixteen fish of three or four different sorts, and one shellfish almost like a lobster, but without great claws, and with a very small short tail which made me think, as the body was thrice as long as a lobster's in proportion, that it did not swim backwards like that creature, but only crawled forwards, it having lobster-like legs but much shorter and stronger, and that the legs all standing so forward, its tail was, by its motion, to keep the hinder part of its body from dragging upon the ground, as I observed it did when the creature walked on land, it then frequently flacking its short tail." These fish made me rich in provisions. Some of them I ate fresh, and the remainder I salted down. But of all the kinds, my lobster was the most delicious food, and made me almost three meals. Thus finding there were fish to be had, though my present tackle seemed suitable enough to my family, yet could I not rest till I had improved my fishery by enlarging my net. For, as it was, even with my late addition, I must either sweep little or no compass of ground, or it would have no bag behind me. Upon this I set to work, and shortly doubled the dimensions of it. I had then a mind to try it at the mouth of my rill. So, taking it with me the next time I crossed the lake for water, and fastening it to my pole close by the right side of the rill, I swept a long compass round to the left, and closing the ends attempted to draw it up in the hollow out of the rill but by the time I had gathered up two-thirds of the net, I felt a resistance that quite amazed me. In short, I was not able to stand against the force I felt. 
whereupon sitting down in the rill and clapping my feet to the two sides of it i exerted all my strength till finally i became conqueror and brought up so shocking a monster that i was just rising to run for my life on the sight of it but recollecting that the creature was hampered and could not make so much resistance on the land as in the water i ventured to drag the net up as far from the rill as my strength and breath would permit me and then running to the boat for my gun i returned to the net to examine my prize indeed i had not instantly resolution enough to survey it and when at length i assumed courage enough to do so i could not perfectly distinguish the parts they were so discomposed but taking hold of one end of the net i endeavoured to disentangle the thing and then drawing the net away a most surprising sight presented itself the creature reared upright about three feet high covered all over with long black shaggy hair like a bear which hung down from his head and neck quite along his back and sides he had two fins very broad and large which as he stood erect looked like arms and these he waved and whirled about with incredible velocity and though i wondered at first at it i found afterwards it was the motion of these fins that kept him upright for i perceived when they ceased their motion he fell flat on his belly he had two very large feet which he stood upon but could not run and but barely walk on them which made me in the less haste to dispatch him and after he had stood upon his feet about four minutes clapping his fins to his sides he fell upon his belly when i found he could not attack me i was moving closer to him but upon sight of my stirring up he rose again and whirled his fins about as before so long as he stood and now i viewed him round and found he had no tail at all and that his hinder fins or feet very much resembled a large frog's but were at least ten inches broad and eighteen long from heel to toe and his legs were so short that when he stood upright his breech bore upon the ground his belly which he kept towards me was of an ash colour and very broad as also was his breast his eyes were small and blue with a large black sight in the middle and rather of an oval than round make he had a long snout like a boar and vast teeth thus having surveyed him near half an hour living i made him rise up once more and shot him in the breast he fell and giving a loud howl or groan expired i had then time to see what else i had caught and turning over the net found a few of the same fish i had taken before and some others of a flattish make and one little lump of flesh unformed which last by all i could make of it seemed to be either a spawn or young one of that i had shot the great creature was so heavy i was afraid i must have cut him in pieces to get him to the boat but with much ado having stowed the rest i tumbled him on board i then filled my water cask and rowed homewards being got to land i was obliged to bring down my cart to carry my great beast fish as i termed him up to the grotto when i had got him thither i had a notion of first tasting and then if i liked his flesh of salting him down and drying him so having flayed him and taken out the guts and entrails i boiled a piece of him but it made such a blaze that most of the fat ran into the fire and the flesh proved so dry and rank that i could no ways endure it 
I then began to be sorry I had taken so much pains for no profit, and had endangered my net into the bargain, for that had got a crack or two in the scuffle, and was thinking to throw away my large but worthless acquisition. However, as I was now prone to weighing all things, before I threw it away, I resolved to consider a little, whereupon I changed my mind. Says I, here is a good warm skin, which, when dry, will make me a rare cushion. Again, I have for a long while had no light beside that of the day, but now, as this beast's fat makes such a blaze in the fire, and issues in so great a quantity from such a small piece as I broiled, why may not I boil a good tallow or oil out of it? And if I can, I have not made so bad a hand of my time as I thought for. In short, I went immediately to work upon this subject, for I never let a project cool after I had once started it, and boiled as much of the flesh as the kettle would hold, and letting it stand to cool, I found it turned out very good oil for burning, though I confess I thought it would rather have made tallow. This success quickened my industry, and I repeated the operation till I got about ten quarts of this stuff, which very well rewarded my labor. After I had extracted as much oil as I could from the beast-fish, the creature having strongly impressed my imagination, I conceived a new fancy in relation to it, and that was, having heard him make a deep howling groan at his death, I endeavored to persuade myself, and at last verily believed, that the voices I had so often heard in the dark weather proceeded from numbers of these creatures, diverting themselves in the lake, or sporting together on the shore. And this thought, in its turn, contributed to ease my apprehensions in that respect. End of chapter 13 Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista